Hey church family, I'm glad to be able to greet you today for a very special conversation that I'm going to have with Ken Jones, who is our soul care pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus. Uh, Ken has been on staff with us at Mount Pleasant for about 12 years. Uh, I hired him originally to be our connections pastor, but I didn't have to know Ken very long before I realized that uh, really his the passion of his heart is in counseling. And so about five years ago, we think, yeah. about five years ago, uh, he and I had some good long conversations together, some meetings, and that resulted in the ministry that we now have called Soul Care, uh, which gives him the opportunity to do uh, personal counseling for individuals and couples, uh, and also to uh, create uh, small group opportunities that have been really powerful in helping people deal with uh, emotional and relational issues in their life. Yeah. Now, Ken came to us with a pretty rich experience of ministry. Uh, he uh, has served in the local church in a lot of different roles, everywhere from uh, being a senior pastor yeah. to an associate. Yeah. Uh, you taught school for a while. I did. I did. And uh, one yeah. cool thing about uh, Soul Care is that Ken's wife, Mary Kay, how long have you guys been married? 29 years. 29 years. She yes. works with him as his uh, assistant yeah. in the ministry there, and she's very involved in that. And so, as we begin a new sermon series this weekend called Faith and Family, we're going to talk about marriage. And uh, I got the idea a few weeks ago and talked to Ken uh, that we should begin by talking about different threats to marriage. And uh, I wanted an opportunity for Ken to be able to speak into that based on his counseling experience. And so, uh, as I mentioned to you before, Ken, uh, from my perspective as being a senior pastor for 40 years and, right. and have, having done a lot of counseling, and although not very good at it, I'm probably, what, what I would say is that the two biggest threats to marriage um, are the things that we bring with us into a marriage and the things that we sometimes allow right. in our marriages. Yeah. And so... Uh, if you would, why don't you just share some thoughts uh, with the folks about that based on your counseling experience? So whenever I think about marriage, I always think about my journey, my journey with Mary Kay. And one of the things that we brought into our marriage, I think like everyone does, particularly if you're a young couple, is, is the idea that you just get married, you love each other, it's great, and you just keep going in that direction. But uh, it's not long before you discover that marriage follows a process and a pattern or stages there's like stages of marriage and so I always think it thinking of it in terms of these three stages there's the enchantment that's the time where you're in love and people call it the honeymoon mm -hmm. uh, there's like bliss and you think your partner is just like you and they love you and you love them and everything's just wonderful but then eventually comes the awakening call it the great awakening where you wake up and find out this person is not as perfect as you thought they were <laughs> and they discover you're not as perfect it, you know so and so disappointment sets in and people feel lost young couples will come in they'll feel lost and they'll say what's wrong with my marriage I don't like him anymore he doesn't like me the way he did and um, you know the way he does things irritates me you know so early on in the enchantment uh, you know you may th a wife may say my husband was a very godly frugal person but when they get to the great awakening she may discover well he's just a tightwad he, <laughs> he doesn't spend his money right or in during the enchantment she's the talk talkative person who makes all the conversations go smoothly 
and she can get him to open up and share. But then in the Great Awakening, it's like, well, she doesn't quit talking. And so very often, the things that are happening in the enchantment where you fall in love, the things you really love about each other, the very good things often become the things that you don't like. Mm. You know, the person who very wants to be connected uh, and can share his needs, he may become too needy. Or the person who needs their space, they can become too isolated. So couples get into the Great Awakening and they discover that marriage can be hard and there's disappointment. Yeah. And but that really sets the stage for the third stage, which is mature loving. So you have to go through the Great Awakening and find out that you brought some issues into your marriage, you brought some wounds into your marriage, you have some ideas about life and living and God and about each other that aren't necessarily biblical or godly, and they're not healthy, but it's only in marriage that you can discover those things. Because I, so when a couple comes in and they say, well, our marriage is not working, we're fighting, we're not getting along, um, we're feeling some things we don't know how to deal with, and they say our marriage is wrong, maybe we shouldn't be married. And I always say something like, I think your marriage is working just the way God wants it to. Because God's going to use marriage, this intensely close relationship, to bring to the surface all those things that you brought into marriage that he wants to heal, he wants to help you grow through, he wants you to repent of some things. So, you know, in the Great Awakening, it's, it's, it's a painful time, it can be. And if couples don't understand that that's part of the journey, they can feel like, well, we're stuck here. Um, but the thing that always gives me hope in thinking about this is that um, God has had the same stages of relationships with us. You know, he, it all starts in Eden, there's bliss, there's innocence, and then the relationship goes sideways. And then God tells them they have to leave the bliss of Eden. And he posts an angel at the door and says, you can't go back. You have to go out and through. And so couples come into counseling, they want to go back to the enchantment. And I always say, you can't go back. Hmm. You have to go forward and you have to learn to love each other in Christ-like ways. And that's very difficult. So I think what people bring into marriage is some unrealistic expectations. I, I would say, based on my experience, that's yeah. probably right at the top of the list. It's, it's yeah. kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah. And um, so many people come into marriage uh, not realizing how much they were impacted by what they saw in their parents right. when it came to marriage. And in our day and age, that can be sometimes parents who are married multiple times yeah. Or, or parents who were operating in yeah. dysfunction for a long, long time, oh. and they don't, and, they, and it's like that, you know, those things you say that you didn't like about your parents. I'll never be like that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you become. <laughs> it's true. You see a lot of that. I do. I mm -hmm. see um, couples coming to marriage, and they don't. First off, they don't know what they're getting into, mm -hmm. and they have had models. They haven't had great models of marriage, but. And they don't even know they have a model of marriage until they, until they get married and they start saying to each other, you're supposed to be like this. Yeah. Or the husband's supposed to do, do it this way or the wife's supposed to do it that way. And all of a sudden, they have these, these expectations that aren't fitting with the Bible mm -hmm. and they start feeling heartache. Yeah. You know? When I used to do, I don't do that many weddings anymore, but I, the, the premarital counseling I used to do had an exercise that I would send home with a couple to do individually. And it was basically 
uh, all these things that happen in marriage from the most mundane things to the most exciting things yes and uh, and you filled out this form about about uh, what you what you saw with your mom and dad with regard to who took the lead on these things and who did this right. and who did that yeah. and then what it's going to be like for you yeah and it's so revealing it is. because oftentimes they were completely yeah. opposite as far as like, well, who's supposed to take the lead on this planning or who's going to take the lead on grocery shopping or just, and, and they had opposite opinions. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden this couple caught in the bliss, yes. you know, yeah. uh, are looking at each other like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it becomes real dicey because... Even household domestic chores, like who's gonna load the dishwasher, or how to load the dishwasher, or who's gonna cook the dinner, and those things can become differences couples have a lot of hurt feelings over. And then oh, yeah. they don't know how to deal with the hurt feelings, and they develop patterns of dealing with the hurt feelings like avoiding, or like having an attacking relationship. Like some couples bring into marriage, they don't have any idea how to deal with conflict and differences. Yeah. It is amazing to me, Ken, and as I look back over the last 40 years in three different churches, how many times there's been a couple in my church who from all outward appearances seem to be, you know, yeah. and they were strong, seemed to be having a, a, a great marriage, they were strong in their faith, it was right. real. I mean, yes. it was genuine, their commitment to Christ was real. Yeah. But then one day, sometimes after 30 years, yeah. somebody basically steps up and says, I can't do this anymore. And there's been all this underlying bitterness that right. has grown and grown. The, yes. what the book of Hebrews talks about not letting the root of bitterness take place in your heart, but it's yeah. just grown for years and years and to the point where right. now, I mean, there's honestly, yeah. there's nothing, almost sometimes nothing that can be done. It's too late. Yeah. I, because they don't know how to deal with conflict. They don't. And um, just coming into marriage, if you think that your marriage shouldn't have conflict, mm -hmm. you're going to have trouble because conflict is healthy if you learn how to do it right and you learn to let conflict teach you what she needs and what he needs, mm -hmm. and then you can figure out how do we meet each other's needs? How do we do ministry to each other? Yeah. So I really think that's probably another thing people bring into marriage is a lack of awareness that ministry is not just about what you get, it's also about doing ministry to your spouse. Yeah. And so the marriage is not just about you. It's that's about a strong concept. And then, of course, you know, we move into the things that we allow into our marriage, yeah. and that can be really uh, troublesome for yes. a lot of couples as well. And I'm sure you've got some thoughts about that as well. Oh, my goodness. I, I just um, sometimes I think that if we could figure out how to not allow these things, there wouldn't be a real need for counseling. So there's so much that goes into marriage, and there, there's the difficulty in marriage that couples... They, they mishandle it, they don't know how to cope, they don't get any help, they don't have any friends, they don't have any models. So many things, and the pain gets to a point where they move away from the pain. And so one of the things I see couples allowing in marriage is they allow other things to come between themselves and their husband and their wives, yeah. good things. So for example, just stereotypically, you'll see a husband, because he can't deal with the pain of marriage, he will give his energy to his career. He will throw himself into his work. Or the wife, and we could flip it both ways, but the wife may give herself to raising the children. Mm -hmm. And who can argue with that? Right, those, those are good those things. Those are like evil things. Or it could be addictions, it could be shopping, it could be, it could be ministry in the church. Mm. That, so there's this energy that's supposed to go to your spouse. It's supposed to go into figuring out how to deal with our issues 
but we just avoid it and we give you know people will think mostly of affairs mm -hmm. but you can have an emotional affair with your work with your children with ministry with other attachments and I think couples allow that to come in between them to where they're not facing each other anymore they're facing away from each other yeah and and it's really awful because they really need to deal with what's between them because that's how God can grow them up spiritually and emotionally and then they can have a healthy marriage yeah well honestly we could sit and talk about this for uh, uh, several more minutes but I think that's been really helpful you know one of the things you just said is I think about all the people that I've known and I'm sure you'd say the same who have uh, <clears throat> fallen into the trap of an extramarital uh, yes. relationship and marriage and affair and uh, almost al very rarely uh, can I think about somebody and I thought that's something they went looking for. That's right. They just made themselves vulnerable. They that's just right. let their guard down. They yes. didn't recognize the danger yes. Yes. of some things that were happening which were not bad in the beginning. Yes. And because of the unhappiness or the emptiness in their life that wasn't being filled up by their own marriage, right. then the worst possible thing happened. Yeah, and, and, and the great thing about the opportunity there, though, is for couples to restore their marriage. They, even in infidelity, yeah. they can restore their marriage. And God gives us a model in Scripture. He restored himself to us even exactly. when we were unfaithful. Well, Ken, thanks for spending a few minutes with me. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk uh, more about threats of marriage, uh, and we're going to talk about some things that we can do also in this series to safeguard our marriages. Uh, and we'll also be talking about some parenting issues. So I uh, appreciate your time. What a great ministry Soul Care is. If you haven't learned uh, about that yet, then take some time to, to, to get some better understanding about the many different things that can come from the Soul Care ministry. All right, I want to welcome everyone to our online campus today, and I want to thank you for being with us. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the 19th chapter and just hold that ready. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation I had this past Monday with our soul care pastor, Ken Jones. I have a lot of respect for Ken and the great job he's doing, not just with his personal counseling, but also with the different soul care classes and group experiences he's providing for the church. And listen, I would strongly, strongly recommend all of you to learn more about soul care ministry. All you have to do is just go to the Mount Pleasant Church website, that's mpcc.info. On the home page, you can click on the need help icon. It's one of the things that's at the top of the page. And then click on the soul care and counseling ministry icon, and you can learn all about the different soul care offerings here at the church. One of the things that I'm really thankful for this weekend is the fact that we're able to share this video with all of our impact campuses as well as our Mount Pleasant campus because I want all of you to see the different resources that our soul care ministry has to offer for all of you. You know, before we shot that video last Monday, Ken and I, along with our video coordinator, Tony Molinaro, who was shooting the video, prayed for God's blessing on what we were about to do. And as I prayed, I shared that one of the great burdens of my heart is the reality of so many struggling marriages, not just in the world today, but often in the church. That burdens my heart for many reasons, but at the very top of the list is my fundamental understanding and my own personal experience of what God intended marriage to be and how great a blessing it can be for a man and a woman who are in love. But I can tell you as a pastor that there are so many people 
today who are not experiencing that blessing for so many different reasons. Ken and I touched on a couple of them under the heading, the threats of marriage. We talked briefly about the things we bring into marriage and also the things we allow in marriage. And both of those are very real, and we're going to talk more about them next week. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about another threat to marriage that I think stands head and shoulders above the rest, and I'm just going to call that threat the trivialization of marriage. I'm talking about the fact that the God-ordained institution of marriage has in many ways been overrun by a complete lack of regard for the God who created it. And this is not something, friends, that's just happening outside of the church. It's something that often happens inside the church as well. Recently, I read this silly story about a woman who'd been married four times. Her first marriage was to a banker. Her second marriage was to an entertainer. Her third marriage was to a minister. And her fourth marriage was to a mortician. One day, a friend of hers asked her why she married all those men. And this was her reply. One for the money two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Now, I want you to feel free to groan out loud if you want to because that is a pretty lame and pathetic joke. But at the same time, it's not that far off when it comes to the sad and the casual and the superficial way that so many people view marriage today. Marriage was created by God to be a holy, lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, and yet in our culture, it's been trivialized and trampled, again, not just by unbelievers, but by believers as well. And as a result, our world is full of people who desperately need to see someone stand up for the sanctity of marriage by living out a lifelong commitment, the lifelong commitment that God calls for, and by allowing their marriage to be an example of the power of God's love to a watching world. But in order for that to happen, we've got to reaffirm our understanding and our, our understanding and our commitment to God as the creator of marriage, which means we need to follow God's plan for marriage. I'm going to put a couple of verses up for you to look at, a couple of verses of Scripture, and they might seem odd for a message about marriage, but I want you to just bear with me for a moment. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, and here's how it reads in my New International Version Bible. It's the Apostle Paul who is writing, and he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now, first things first. Paul is talking about Jesus in these verses. And the first thing that he does is remind us that Jesus is God. That word image there in verse 15 is the Greek word ekon. And in this context, it is a reference to the divine nature of Jesus. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God because he has the same divine nature as God. And so when Paul says about Jesus in verse 16... For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's basically saying that there is no part of life, not one single part of life, 
where God, and remember Jesus was God in human flesh, where God looks at us as his creation and says, hey, in this particular area of life, you're on your own. I'm out, you're on your own. Listen again to verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In other words, Paul is saying God created this world and every single thing in it with a plan, and friends, that includes marriage. We have problems. We run into problems in our lives when we stray away from God's plan for anything. And marriage has been an area where this has been happening for a really long time. Let me illustrate that for you by looking at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you've got your Bibles open there, then I want you to follow along as I read Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted, note that, not commanded, permitted you to, to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Now, friends, because I wanted you to see that video of my conversation with Ken, I don't have time to give you an exhaustive explanation of this text. So let me just say this. During Jesus' earthly ministry, his main critics were the religious leaders. And at the top of the list of the religious leaders were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had so twisted and distorted marriage that they were divorcing their wives for any and every reason. And they were so callous to this practice that they decided to use divorce in a question as a way to try to test or trap Jesus and that was what was behind their question, the question we saw there in uh, verse 3 when they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the heart of this falls in verses 3 through 9, but it's verses 8 and 9 that we really need to think about. Jesus answered the question. And basically, he said, listen, Moses gave men permission. Again, that's important to note. He didn't command people to do this, but he gave, or men to do this. He gave men permission to divorce their wives because he said their hearts were hard. That's another way to say sinful. Moses gave men permission to divorce their wives because they were sinful. Their hearts were hard and sinful. And so here's what was happening in the culture of the day. Men were just 
getting rid of their wives, divorcing their wives, throwing their wives out of the house for any and every reason, making these women very vulnerable. And so, going back to the reference of Moses permitting divorce, giving wives a certificate of divorce in those ancient days was an act of basic decency because it released them from the marriage and gave them the opportunity to perhaps get married again one day. This is what was happening. This is what the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were twisting and distorting. Listen, we don't have uh, time to talk in great detail about how harsh life could be for women in that day and age. I don't know if you'll remember this, but I've told you before on many occasions that if it seems like when you read through the Gospels, there are a lot of stories about sinful women or women with reputations or prostitutes, it's because women on their own in that day and age had very limited ways to survive. They had very limited resources for their own survival. And so what Jesus is doing in this conversation with the Pharisees that began with this question is he's telling them or reminding them that the first divorce laws, they're referencing Moses giving them permission for divorce. The first divorce laws were in large part for the protection of women. If men were going to be sinful, hard-hearted, unfaithful husbands, then again, the least they could do was give their wives a certificate of divorce so that they would have the chance to one day remarry. Now, and this is really important, the Pharisees, these elite religious leaders were so caught up in abusing this law or this permission related to divorce that allowed divorce that they had forgotten where it came from. They had forgotten how it originated. In fact, if your Bible is still open to Matthew chapter 19, look back at verse 4 for a moment. After the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus prefaced everything that he said from that point on, beginning with these words in verse 4. Haven't you read? Everything that he said to them, his answer and everything about their subsequent conversation was prefaced with the words, haven't you read? You guys whose lives revolve around reading the Scriptures. You guys who are experts in the Scriptures, haven't you read? Or in other words, this was Jesus saying to them, why do I have to explain this to you? Why is this not something you already know? This is really, in a subtle way, Jesus sticking it to the Pharisees. Haven't you read? You see, the problem is, they had completely lost sight of any understanding and any commitment to God as the creator of marriage. In fact, in my imagination, after Jesus said these things to them, I can just see them standing there looking back at Jesus with absolutely dumbfounded, blank looks on their faces because they simply don't know what to say. And the widespread result of this, the widespread level of this drift and this departure from God's 
word and God's plan for marriage is affirmed by the response of Jesus' own disciples who, at the very end of our text, when Jesus said in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery, his disciples respond by saying in verse 10, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And I say that that's an affirmation of the widespread level of this drift and departure from God's word and God's plan for marriage because this is literally what the disciples were saying. This is what they were communicating with that statement in verse 10. If you don't have the freedom to marry and divorce and marry again at your own discretion, then you're just better off never getting married. That's what they were saying. And they said that because the culture, the religious culture, had so distorted marriage that the idea of till death do us part, or to use God's words, the idea of therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate, was completely beyond their comprehension. They couldn't even absorb the reality of that truth or understand it in any way, shape, or form. And so here's the fundamental point that I want to make. Marriage was created by God. And the blessing of marriage, the satisfaction of marriage, the fulfillment of marriage, the witness of marriage, and I could go on and on and on, will never, ever be all that God intended it to be until we understand and affirm that truth. God is the creator of marriage. We don't have the right to make up different rules. We don't have the right to redefine it in any way, shape, or form because it was created by God. Now, we began by talking about the threats to marriage in my conversation with Ken, and we focused on, again, two things in particular, the things we bring into marriage and the things we allow in marriage. Again, I'm going to talk about those more next week. Those two things along with so many other things that we don't have time to talk about, are always going to be threats to marriage unless and until we make the commitment to build our marriages on the truth of what God, the creator of marriage, teaches us about marriage. And I realize today that I'm talking to people who are single, people who are in unhappy and struggling, frustrating marriages, I'm talking to people who are divorced. I'm talking to people who are divorced and remarried. I'm talking to people who are in happy and stable marriages. You need to know that my interest and focus for you is what you're going to do related to marriage from here, from where you are right now. Now, let's just be painfully honest for a moment. The truth is, there may be a need for some of you related to past marriage to go to God and pour out your heart. There may be things that you need to take to God related to the past. There may be a need for some level of confession. There may be a need for some level of repentance. But in the end, that's something that's between you and God. And I want you to know that if that's the case, if that's what you need to do, then do that without fear because you can trust in the grace of God. 
my focus, once again, for you related to marriage, regardless of where you are in your life, is what you're going to do from this point on. I've told you before that I believe that Christian marriages are one of the best witnesses to an unbelieving world about the reality of God, about the love of God, and about the grace of God, and about the mercy of God, and about the heart of God and His desire for us in our lives. There's no question that marriage can be difficult and frustrating, but there is one simple, immutable, and by immutable, I mean unchanging. There is one simple, immutable, unchanging truth that can turn that around, that can turn around any difficult and any frustrating marriage and bring joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's the truth that since God is the creator of marriage, we need to embrace and model his instructions and his truth about marriage in our lives. There is really no room for anything else. In his book, Married for God, subtitled Making Your Marriage the Best It Can Be, Christopher Ashe tells this story and makes this application. Some years ago, a dispute rose in Britain between the Foreign Office and the Treasury. The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls Royce for their official duties in a foreign capital. The Treasury, unsurprisingly, wanted these wonderful cars restricted to just a few of the ambassadors, perhaps the ambassador to Washington or Moscow or Paris, cities like that. The Foreign Office argued for many more based on the following reasoning. They said, most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain, but when they see this magnificent car gliding through the streets of their city with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they will say to themselves, I have not been to Britain. I don't know much about Britain, but if they make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place. Here's the application Christopher Ashe made in his book. In a similar way, it is Christ's hope that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, a Christian marriage that understands and affirms that God as the creator of marriage is the one who sets the definition for marriage and the boundaries for marriage and the behavior in marriage and on and on and on. He says, in a similar way, it is Christ's hope that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, I have never seen God. Sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good. Or if there is a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love one another like this. If he can make this husband show costly faithfulness through sickness and in health. If he can give him resources to love his wife with Christ-like sacrifice. Well then he must be a good God. And if Christ can give this wife grace to submit so beautifully with such an attractive spirit, then again, he must be a good God. I want you to listen to me close, friends. There is so much at stake when it comes to marriage. There's your happiness. There's your fulfillment. But there is also this powerful witness to the world about God, about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And so, 
my word to you is don't let anything, not one single thing, not one level of pressure, no matter where it comes from, ever keep you from trusting and submitting to God, the creator of marriage, and his plan for marriage, his ideal for marriage, in every single part of your marriage relationship. When God created marriage, when he designed it, he created it and he designed it for your good and to be a witness and a blessing to the entire world about his love. That's something that we all need to remember and hang on to. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a few minutes to talk about marriage and to talk about a foundational aspect or a foundational truth about marriage that you would think that we would never lose sight of, but clearly, at least in this world and in this part of the world where we live, we certainly have, you are the one who created marriage. And so you are the one who gets to define it and describe it and teach what it takes to make marriage everything you created it to be. I pray that you would help us to realize that and to hang on to it every day. I pray for everyone who is listening to me, uh, wherever they are, whatever their circumstance is, for the single person who one day longs to be married, married I pray that they will remember these truths. Uh, to, the, to, the, to the folks who are in marriages that are struggling, where there's unhappiness and frustration and bitterness, I pray that this truth about you would break through the walls that have been built or the hardness of hearts and would really capture our attention. I pray for those who have been divorced and who are brokenhearted and bitter, perhaps, certainly sad. I pray that they would find hope in these words. I pray for those who... Um, have been divorced and are remarried, I pray, Father, that you would move in their hearts and their lives, teach them, challenge them, convict them. And I pray for every marriage that is strong and healthy that it would be protected. I just pray, Father, that we would not ever in any part of life lose sight of the foundational truth that you are the creator of all things. And as we learn from that passage in Colossians chapter 1, there's not a single part of life and living. There's nothing in this world where you have said to us, listen, in this one thing, you're on your own because I'm out. I'm not involved. You created this world with a plan, and your plan is what needs to be followed. Just help us to take these words to heart and help us to trust you. We love you and we thank you for your love for us and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.